Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives, and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for, and use Xvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Xvoyant is here to help at this time of crisis. We've put together a sales leadership seminar for sales leadership teams of all shapes and sizes. The current sales leadership crisis will far outlive this COVID crisis we're all facing. And after working with literally hundreds of sales leaders around the world, I've found four levers the most successful sales leaders are adjusting to effectively navigate the storm facing us all right now. This is a one-hour interactive presentation for your sales leaders conducted by me. This seminar is supported by a workbook with key activities you can conduct with your sales leaders as well as a private website with videos to help you implement each of of these levers in a way that will help you create as much influence with your team as you possibly can. We offer this free for all sales leaders. There are no strings, no asks, and nothing but an experience that will motivate and inspire members of your sales leadership team. To schedule your private seminar with your team, hit me up today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by an icon in sales, Dale Dupree, founder of the Sales Rebellion. Dale and his team are not your average sales training company. Dale and the Sales Rebellion are not about a program, they're about a movement. Dale and his team do more than just transform sales, they help transform lives. And I first met him as I had the opportunity to be his teammate on the recent UK versus USA sales competition that I hope you all watched. And if you did, you all know it turned out to be not so competitive as Team USA took care of its business as it always does. But I did enjoy getting a taste of Dale's view on sales, leadership, and really his competitiveness about the job that we all do. I was actually pissed off that I didn't already know him. He has a massive following of fellow members of the sales community. They've all signed up for the rebellion. And Dale has built his approach as someone that has done and continues to do the sales job. This is no armchair quarterback we're bringing on today, okay? Now, right now, more than ever, sales leaders and salespeople need more than programs and techniques. Uh, I think we all know that. So I invited Dale to join us for a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. The leader of the rebellion's got 13 years of B2B experience in copiers and tech sales and is easily one of the best looking dudes I know. Dale Dupree, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. That's the most epic introduction I've ever had in my life, (laughs) for sure. Well, well well-deserved, man. Uh, thanks for joining. It was so good getting to know you on on the uh, little skirmish, I guess we had with those guys. Yeah, if that's UK. what you want to call that, for sure. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome, right? Like, I think the best part about it was just the fact that there was absolutely no chance that those dudes were gonna pull off a win, except for Daniel. We got to give props to Daniel Disney real quick. I mean, he just rolled us on on the social selling stuff, like completely. One question, rolled. One question bro. 
<laughs> yeah, we yeah. will give we'll give we'll give Disney the props on that. But yeah, we gotta hit him. We gotta hit him with one little prop right there. <laughs> but he should have probably raised his head out of that trench for more than one question, right? He probably should have, but maybe it was because he secretly wanted to be on our team. <laughs> Who knows, bro? You know, like maybe he was digging our answers. <laughs> So do us a favor, man. I know you guys, you guys are doing really cool things at Sales Rebellion. You've got a massive following. It's been fun to, to learn a lot about you and get to know you a little bit. For our listeners, most will know you, but for those that maybe don't, can you introduce your group and what you guys do for the sales community? Yeah, for sure. And, and to introduce it, I kind of just need to go back a little bit and, and introduce my dad because this whole company and, and the way that we teach salespeople goes back to the foundation of the way that my father taught me sales. And, and it all starts in 1984 when he founds his first copier firm. He leaves the big box store at like a true rebel. Um, and by the way, my dad was like the Dwight Schrute of the 1970s. He sold paper and was the number one paper salesperson no way. That's at the awesome. company. Yeah, straight up. And then they, awesome. he was so good at it that they moved him into copiers pretty quickly too. Like they graduated into it faster than anybody else had. He was on that fast track to basically be the CEO at some point. But you know, he just didn't agree with the morals and ethics of the men that were running the company and the way that, that the organization treated customers. My dad wanted something bigger, better, more community-minded, more servant leadership focused. And so he started his firm. And, and from there, for the next 29 years, he, he ran that business and, and raised us in it. So, you know, from diapers to, to baggy jeans to, you know, maybe the occasional um, makeup phase, you know, that my sisters went through or, the tight jeans that me and my brother went through to like show off our butts, you know, like all the rebel, all the rebel. Oh, you still do that, dude. I know you still do yeah, that. Come on. Yeah. Listen, bro. I'll still, get them, I'll still get them tight jeans on every once in a while, but, but you know, like, so we lived through it. We lived all of our days through it. We got to all the ups, all the downs, you know, our development, it was all done in that small business. And when I went into B2B sales, I started with him. I was 21 years old. And, and I spent four years with him and was molded by these concepts. And, and in the process of learning them and understanding them better, it, it fueled me. It took me to a place where I realized in 2012 just what was sitting in front of me. And I, I just, it was a massacre for the next six years. You know, I was the guy that was writing the most net new business, the biggest numbers of the company. I was the VP of sales at one point, you know, and I graduated in that role instead of the firm that bought his company within the course of five years. So it was a fast track for me. And what I realized, though, is that it wasn't based around a system. There are plenty of systems out there, you know, and, and the, Re the rebellion technically has a system, but it's a guideline because what it is, is it's a journey that you're on. And it's an idea of how did, how can we take this thing that everybody's put in a box and said, no, 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 you have to do these seven things in order to get the deal and to open that box up and say, well, actually, like, no, those, those things are important to some extent, but what's really important are the interactions themselves, are the results themselves. It, there's more to it than what we are dumbing down for people and forcing people into to begin with. And because of that, we've created a giant stereotype inside of the sales world. So the rebellion is formed on this concept of that. When I sat in those trainings with people, you know, and I won't name any names of companies that I sat through all those years, but I would think to myself, I hear what you're saying, but I did all the things, the opposite of what you're telling me. And I have the best relationships. The, I am the guy that never gets bid against, right? That never has to go to bid in the first place because the quotes come to me from my customer and they say, hey, you know how the boss is. They're going to make me get three of these. So here's the right. other two. Make sure you win this deal because I don't yeah. want to deal with these people. You know, yeah. that, that's the kind of sales life that I live. And so I decided that that was a lifestyle is what it was. It was culture. It was community more than it was sales in the first place. 
and when I founded the Sales Rebellion, that was the look. It was, hey, let's build a system, you know, so that there's organization, but only because we want to go on the seller's journey with them. And we want to help them to understand the buyer's journey through the process and, and connect the two instead of having them battle each other out. Because most sales systems are, how do I beat your ass during mm. the next, you know, 24 weeks or 16 hours or however long your sales cycle is? And, and I'm sick of that mentality. I like the concept and always have been attracted to the concept of a community-minded culture inside of sales. And we built it. It was extremely successful. And matter of fact, the company that I left, at, you know, before I started doing this, they ended up selling. And I'm not going to say that I was the reason that they sold, but I will tell you that, you know, the inside scoop of how much business they lost after I left was yeah. substantial. It was massive. And it wasn't just it wasn't just what they were telling me from the inside. It was my customers calling me going, but you don't sell copiers anymore. Well, where do I go? You know, where, what do I do? And so, so that's the rebellion, bro. The rebellion is based off of 13 plus years of me experiencing a true form of sale, an altruistic form of sales that was put in, in into my DNA by my father. Um, and, and he passed away in 2016 from cancer. And so it's our, it's our duty inside of the rebellion to honor him and to make sure that his shadow sticks around in all things and that people know who he was. I freaking love that, dude. I got a son that just graduated high school and I'm crossing my fingers. I can get him into sales. And I hope someday, you know, that dude, cause I'm, I'm going to get, I said that I got enough people in the industry. I can get you your first gig, dude. And, yeah, baby. <laughs> and, but I hope someday I got a son that says that kind of stuff about me. Like, dude, I, I can't think of a better thing that you could say. So that even changes uh, my interest in what we're going to talk about even more. So we got several thousand listeners, you know, usually I used to say Dale that they were either on the treadmill or stuck in traffic or on the train now they're all at home in between doing whatever they're going to do with their social distancing right and yeah, it's right. crazy because our downloads of the podcast have gone up uh, as you know everybody's been home and um but i'm excited to get into what you're seeing because i i'm 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 a fan of what you do man and i, I tasted your competitiveness i i always thought i'm the most competitive dude and i, I saw you get competitive against uk and we'll, we'll take some shots at them throughout this just because it's so fresh but i think that's you man i mean you're a you were not the copier salesperson you're the copier warrior right and, and you're an mma fighter and you even compete in your barbecue right i mean and so that might be an interesting place to start. I mean, is that part of what attracted you besides your dad? Is that something that attracted you to sales? Because I think copiers, and I think a lot of the people who are newer to the game that don't have the 13 years or the 20 something that I have, like, I think that the, like the place, if you're good at sales, it's when you're selling copiers, because there's no base. You're out there. It is ridiculously competitive. I mean, that's, that is when you know that you're good at sales. If you can win in that environment, at least that's my yeah. opinion. No, and I think it's, it's a good one. It's warranted because, you know, like I even said in a, in a sales summit one time where they had people stand up from different industries and that the speaker was actually pointing out the top three hardest industries to sell in. And he was, it was his opinion, obviously, but he had been in sales. He was like in his sixties. He'd been in the sales game for a long time. And, and he said, if you're in copier sales, it was the third thing he said, he did insurance, he did cars and specifically used cars, by the way. Okay. And then he, and then he said, and then, and then if you're in copier, stand up. And so everybody stood up. And then what he said, though, was, was awesome. What he said is he said, if you've been with your firm for more than two years, stay standing. And oh my God, the room sat down. No I mean, way. There was, there was only three or four of us still standing. And obviously I had the story at this point, it was, it was four years in, five years in or so. Um, with my dad. And so I was still pretty fresh and it, it was halfway less than halfway into my total career at, at, in that organization and in that vertical. But 
I felt like I was a newbie still, you know, I was like, man, I'm brand new to this and look at all these people sitting down. And, and the guy basically said, you know, if you have been in these industries, you've cut your teeth. And if you've been with your organization for more than two years, you're part of the 1%. And, and I, I remember thinking to myself, even in that moment that I've got something here and I need to take this seriously. And I, not that I never, I didn't feel that way before, but these little things that were kind of just being put into my path like that, these affirmations, you know, yeah. divinity concept. And so, so I was an athlete. That's one thing I didn't mention is I was an athlete. I played competitive sports. I played double A ball. I had scholarships to do it in college. What position? I, I, so I was a, I was a number four and a number five. Nice. And the reason I was a five was I was, I was still like three or four inches shorter than, than the biggest guys that, that in the leagues that we played. And then occasionally, you know, I'd go up against like a six foot 11 dude. And it was like, Oh Jesus, like how does anybody even, you literally can't do anything about that. All you can do, like, all the kids in high school that had to play against Taco Fall, I mean, yeah. they were probably just gut-checking the dude every 10 seconds so that he would just be afraid <laughs> to be in there, right? But, but I was so aggressive. I was extremely aggressive. But I was also, I was raised to be very nurturing to people. I was, as my dad would call me, if he was still here, a defender, where – of men and women. Whereas I would pass the ball to the kid that never got it because no, everyone knew he'd miss it and they didn't want to give it to him. But I was also the guy that like, I would get so aggressive with you because I believed in your growth too. And I wanted you to understand that I, I'll bring the, comp the, com the competition to another level for you in these moments. So for the next four quarters, you're going to have to deal with me and I'm going to make you better in these mm -hmm. moments. So I always had this, just this thing about me that was always that I was going to coach one day. Right. And just never really had, I just didn't sharpen it at those points. Cause I didn't really know what it was, but, and I, I fought mixed martial arts because I was a street kid. You know, I was the kid that was beating up all the bullies, you know, like my, my best friend was the nerd. He was goofy. He had red, uh, red Afro. Cause his dad was black. His mom was white. You know, he had freckles all over his face. Like, cause she was Irish, right? Like pale skin, you know, and this big old fro you know, and his daddy's lips. I mean, and like people would just, it just torment him. Right. And so I was the kid that would roll up on my bike and everybody would go <laughs> after they'd been picking on the dude. So I, I, I did things like mixed martial arts to become better in that sense of how can I continue to be a defender of, of men? But I also, I love, dude, I love the competition of getting with another dude. And, and I know that sounds like terrible, everybody listening right now, but getting with another dude and just going at this like raw just this raw state of competition yeah. with one another i mean because you could kill each other in those moments right <laughs> like yeah. literally and there's something about that that just gets my adrenaline going and then afterwards you know giving him a hug and saying great job with blood coming out of your mouth you know it was there was something about that that's so primal that that took me back to who i really was that just made me want to be more competitive now i stopped doing it because i came to the office one day and i had like this just gnarly black eye and like my my ears were starting to cauliflower a little bit at the time, just a little bit, like not too bad. But my dad was like, yo, you can't go on cold calls, like looking like you just got beat up at the last reception desk, you know? Like, <laughs> and, and I, and I understood that. And so That's I took awesome. it, I took it seriously. So, and, and because of that, you know, I slowly over time, I, I transitioned a lot of those things. I started doing just jujitsu. So that it was just, you know, arm bars and leg locks and, and, and then over time, I stopped doing it altogether because I became so entrenched into sales and sales became the only thing that could get me to that high, that competitiveness inside of sales. So I relate to that. So when people ask me why I got in sales, I, I mean, I graduated college with a marketing degree because you couldn't get a sales degree. And uh, what I found very quickly is sales, I'll be sure to take on this and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about. 
<clears throat> I think sales is the closest thing to being a professional athlete because one person wins and everybody else loses. And the better you prepare, prepare the better you're going to perform. And it really is about what can you do to make sure you win. And, um, and so for me, I love that. That's why I will go to my grave. Yeah, I'm a sales leader, but I still sell every day, Dale. I'm selling my stuff. Right. I'm working with customers. I've kept, I, I, like when we were on Team USA, I said to our group, I was the senior citizen of our group, but I still sell. I'll, I'll go up against you. I'll go against, up against anybody. I'll Hell take my yeah. chances, man. And uh, I, I feel like I've worked hard to keep my skills current and relevant because I love sales so much. I just Word. love it. Word. You know, so I will throw this in there too real quick before we jump yeah. to this next, which is that I read Kobe Bryant's book back in, I want to say like 2011, 2012, somewhere in that era. And because I, again, I was big on sports and I loved Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Those are my boys, yep. you know, growing up, they were my influences. And I remember reading his book and reading that coming away with that and saying to myself that, okay, I can't just be good at copiers. I have to be the best. I have to literally be the best copier salesman. And so that's when the copier warrior was born. You know, I wasn't calling myself until that era where I started to say, well, I need a personal brand because I need to differentiate myself. I need to wear this, this heart on my sleeve and not with this blue button down shirt. Like I need a, an image, a look, a brand. I need to be able to convey that to people and, and I need to believe it. And, and so that, that book changed the trajectory of things for me. And, and it's a, that's a book made for athletes, right? So for me, it was, it was just kind of keeping my mind and my heart in that place where my father had raised me from a competitive state of being a defender, but being the best defender that there was. Okay. So that is the perfect, perfect transition to where I want to get started. So I want to start, and this is probably the only time we talk about it the rest of the show, unless we take a shot at the end, but this USA versus UK thing. Okay. I'm interested in your favorite part of the experience other than winning. I'm interested because I actually think there's a few lessons learned from that because I've deconstructed in my head. There actually are some lessons learned. Like for instance, you talked about, we will win. Like, I think those guys had no idea how much heat we were going to bring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so let's talk about that. It's like, what's your favorite part of the experience? And were there any lessons learned? Because I think that that's an interesting transition. Because yeah, I mean, that, that's I'll, how we met. I'll, yeah, I'll say two things. Like the first thing was, is that it was great to see that, that again, like you just stated, that a bunch of us, you know, and I knew, I knew KD, I knew Scott Lees, and I just met him and Richard Harris maybe, you know, four months ago, three months ago, right? So I just yeah. met those guys. Um, Morgan was one of the first dudes I ever met on, on LinkedIn back in 2017. Nice. So I knew some of the, the homies on the team, right? But uh, it was, we don't spend a lot of time together or anything. We don't like know each other's playbook. So nope. dude, it was sick to see what teamwork can accomplish, right? Where if you can have this team minded, team centric outlook inside of your sales walk, just like you would in a competitive sport, that it's that easy. Cause there were, it was amazing too, how well that, that the U S aligned on our subjects, you know, like yes. I never sat there and thought y'all are wrong and felt different, different about you guys, right? Anything that you said, whereas it was quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, I mean, you could tell that, there, that the people on the UK team, and I'm sure that they would say this, you know, is that, that we are very different, the two different. And, and I bet that people in the UK listening and in the United States listening, and, and I'll tell you straight up that I have messages, direct messages from people that stated these things that, that said basically like, y'all, you know, there's a massive gap between these two countries. And I think that was, you asked for learning lessons. That was one of them is that I realized that it is a lot different over there compared to, you know, when it comes to the, what the sales leaders are saying and believe yeah. than what it is that we say and believe here. I and mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing by any means, but 
You saw the votes. We saw the votes. Yeah, I mean, in fact, one of those that we talked about where they're different, that made my kind of prep list of the notes we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about one of those times when it was clear that they were on different pages because I think there are some misconceptions that I want to um, um, address. But, but let's talk about now. Let's talk about what's going on sales today. I think that in the last 30 days, dude, I mean, you and me have been on the road. We travel a lot. Um, I think the term modern sales, I think that means something completely different now than it did even like 30, 45 days ago. Okay. I bet the truth. Can you talk about what you're seeing? We got a lot of people that are at home. They're going to be excited to hear what you're seeing because your perspective is one that's valuable. What are you seeing right now? Yeah, we're seeing some crazy stuff. Like what we're really seeing is creativity coming to life inside of sales finally, because I've been, I've been bringing the creative game since the moment that I was given the thumbs up on my dad to do whatever I wanted, you know, basically to just find myself, be authentic and, and serve my community. And so, and, and we preach it at the rebellion. It's part of our playbook. You know, it is in our, our quote unquote system that I've talked about a few times now where we, we uh, it's called the chest of wonder. And it's the idea of, of a salesperson being able to specifically have marketing tools that, that give a prospect an experience because sales is this, it's a phone call that leads to an appointment that has an email calendar invite that has you showing up with this book. That's intimidating with all these pages of paper in it that the, the prospect doesn't even care about in the first place, or it's a webinar, right? In the same perspective where you're going through boring slides that nobody wants to look at. They're just waiting for the end for the, you to show them the price. And you know, then they quote you against two other people, tell you you're too expensive, make you bust your ass to try and win the deal on, a, on you know, the cheap front and racing to the bottom. And, and then they sign. And like, that's what sales was to me. It was taught that way to me, bro. Like not by my father, but by the industry. You know, I would come back to my dad and be like, what, what is this? Like, what are people... Why do people do this? Well, this is the way that they know to, to, to make it work. Burn through your prospect list. Burn through specifically the customers that you're trying to win sales with and, and make it a numbers game. And if you have 100 people you're doing that to, even if you won 10 to 12, you're doing a great job and you're, and you're putting money in your pocket and you're putting money into the, the bank of, of, of profit for the company and you keep your job. So you can pay your bills and, and maybe every once in a while spend a couple extra thousand dollars on something fancy. What kind of life is that, bro? Right. You know, to me, like that's the big piece of the puzzle. And so what we're seeing is two, is two things. One is okay. we're seeing reps that are really looking internally at themselves and why they sell in the first place. And the reason is, is because dude, they're at home now and they've never been at home. They're like, they are straight up saying things like, dude, I, I am realizing what it looks like to coexist with my family because I'm not here for eight hours a day, five days a week. That's what people are telling us. And so what they're finding is they're finding that, oh my God, I actually love being around my kids, even though they're annoying the shit out of me right now. Like I love being around them. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love, I love what I'm built. I can see the fruits of my labor daily. And so they're starting to root themselves into their rebel causes, into the things that they're trying to build instead of their sales walk from a much more why and deeper perspective. But from the creative standpoint, what we're seeing is people building new styles and sets of campaigns. So instead of just getting on your email and saying, all right, let's send a, a you know, two weeks worth of, you know, email blasts over the next couple of days and, and try to just bugger into a couple of people's inboxes and get a couple of people to say something people are building stories like yes. let's do a five you know touch point campaign based around this concept and we'll use this business case and we'll and this will be our value prop and 
And the idea is, it's like, what does our customer want to hear, right? So what we're what we're seeing from the guys, though, from a creative standpoint, is is that they take they take the scent, the core of what sales is, and they're and they're kind of opening the the Pandora's box on that and saying, well, how could we translate these things differently? And so when you talk about products that that solve business cases, they're relating them to their home life right now. So they get us on a Zoom and they shoot a quick video and they say, hey, I don't know what, uh, how, you know, how things are at your office, but here are my new coworkers. And they like turn their camera and there's a dog like licking its butt and like two kids like throwing toilet paper everywhere. Like, honey, that's expensive. We can only get one roll at a time, you know, like, and, and it's fun. And, it, and, and so what we're seeing from the prospects, because we're seeing a lot of the reactions too. One of the things that we do very intimately is when we when we build and test these campaigns with folks, because we're very involved in that uh, in that process. We get their creative team, we get the sales team, we may get their idea and, and we use their their concepts, but we breathe life into it through psychology and through the basics of communication and human interaction, so that they're hitting the right nodes, you know, in the brain when they start to to, to reach out to them to begin with. But people are going, yo. The fact that you took time out of your day to make me laugh and to do these things that nobody's ever done, like, is this what sales is going to be like? It's kind of the way that people are, are responding to this. Thank you, you know, is, is what people are saying. And, and even the no's are amazing, Rob. Like, we're watching people right back and say, you know what? I wish I could say yes, but we, we just signed a contract or we just, we still have two years left on this agreement. But, but here's all the details of it. And maybe someday we can do business together. So it's, awesome. it's that That's idea of, the, of yeah. the long game. Right? It's the long game being played, creativity and, and the rebels that are in our system rooting themselves into their why behind sales. So I want to, I want to push pause and go into that a little bit. I love that the first thing you said that you're seeing is create, I wrote down creativity coming to life. Yes. And, and I think that is badass. I think that's super cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And you use my, one of my very favorite words that I want to get into is experiences, because I believe that's the difference maker for a successful versus unsuccessful rep. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but for sales leaders, that's listening to you right now, um, they're saying, sitting there going, okay, creativity coming to life. How can a sales leader encourage creativity to come to life with their team? You know, because I guess I'm going to guess there's two sides of that pancake, man. I bet you've seen creativity fall on its face and I bet you've seen creativity kick ass and maybe there's some tools that you can recommend or approaches, but what is that? How can a sales leader help creativity come to life inside her or his organization? Yeah. And I'll, so I'll give you, we'll start with failures, right? Because. Okay. You know, I love I, it. Love I, it. Love it. Yeah. Seen, sometimes <laughs> it's nuts, right? Because. People, people, when they learn the system, what they learn is what, they, what we explain to them and, and how we create the mediums and start to direct the, the, the specific reps into campaigns and the teams into campaigns is that we start by saying, this is how the copier warrior rolled it all out. So we, we say during a pandemic in 2009 and 2010, and we, and we do this you know, with our reps now, especially with the times right now, it's perfect. I created a campaign that allowed me to break through that normal pattern that people were used to and to do something outside of the box because we couldn't knock on doors during the swine flu. People had locked them and they had signs on them that said, don't come in here without an appointment. You have to be pre-vetted. And this was like an insurance agent that you could just open the door anytime prior to that. So it was, it was frustrating. And, and, and so we had to be, become innovative in those processes and we had to be creative, but dude, we are totally twins. Like experience sales experiential sales is the key ingredient to my success. You know, creating this world that the copier warrior lived in and not being so over the top about it that people would look at me and be like, 
yo, you're really weird. But you know that maybe they would be, they would laugh and say, this is crazy, but I'm going to take an appointment with you anyway, because nothing like this has ever happened to me. So, yeah. you know, imagine a six foot cardboard cutout of myself coming to your office and I'm stabbing a sword into a golden copier in the middle of the woods. And it says every morning he wakes up believing this is his job. And you look at this thing and you're overwhelmed in the moment. <laughs> like, what is happening? And there's a note and it says, read me. And you walk over to it and you pull the note out and you open it and it's like parchment paper. Like it goes no with the way. whole thing and it says, hey, what's up? You won't take my phone calls. You won't respond to my emails. You won't ever meet with me. Well, guess what? Gotcha. And then, it. It went, and, then, and then I would say, and so we can either we can set up a time to meet or have your receptionist call me to come and pick this thing up because it cost me over $100. <laughs> and I would humanize the whole process with them as well, too. And so it's, it's more than just being creative. It's the concept of humanizing. All right. You have to make sure that you're relevant and that you're creating familiarity in the way that you're being creative to begin with. So if, if the failures are this, if I go to a place and I tell them all those stories and then a week later they call up and they say, all right, bro, so we're in Miami and so we decided to do a, to do a Miami Vice theme. And so I'm going to be the dude from, you know, one of those gangster movies and, and like, we're going to have piles of cocaine on a table and I'm going to be, you know, and I'm going to be like, if you, you know, you want to be a king like me, you got to buy my clothes or you got to buy the SAS product. Or, and I'm like, I'm, I'm reading these things and I'm hearing this. And I'm like, you, you know, I do. I think that'll get you put in prison before it'll get you an appointment to be honest with you. And because, because again, like it's this perception we have, we, we do not ever go into a creative idea and concept starting with the perception of somebody else. We always go to what it is that we want. I want to look like this. I want to sound like this. I want it to feel like this. But what we need to do is we need to formulate it around the buyer. And so if somebody says, all right, I want to use the It movie as a theme. And I bring this up because shout out to, to one of my students, Neil Slocum, if he hears this, uh, this is your idea and I'm giving you full credit for it. But he wants to do this It theme where he's got a red balloon and you know, he's, and he dresses up like a clown in his video that he sends people and, and he's got a great message. But I told him, I said, those things are all great. But if somebody hasn't seen the movie and somebody doesn't like clowns, then what is it? What are, what are you relating to? And so we have to have a message that is product centric, right? Mm. And so, you know, they sell IT. It's one of the things they do. And I said, like, what if you, if the, if the balloon was being blown up by like the fan on the server, that's like making the loudest noise you've ever heard in your life because it's 20 years old, it's about to explode. And, and you gave a message, you know, based on that, like, you know, could you do, can you do this with a red balloon? You know, like and have the it logo on it or whatever, you know, and, and I know that it's quirky and it's very unstructured the way that I just gave it to you. But yeah. again, like people listening need to hear and see that there are ways to tie in pop culture and, and this idea of creating something familiar to people with something that, that speaks to them, not from your heart, but they're from their own mind before, like when they see it, they go, yo, this looks like my idea, right? And is the concept behind it, which gets people stirred up and ready to do business with you before before you've ever even had a first appointment to begin with. So I love this. I've been taking tons of notes. And so as you were talking about, you know, how can a leader uh, stimulate creativity? I, I want to regurgitate this back and see if I got this right. Number one, make sure that we're talking about reinforcing this perception from the buyer's perspective, right? Something that's yes. going to matter to them problems they want to solve or results that they want to achieve. You know, relevant. You know, that's when you talk being humanizing was about being relevant. So it's relevant because I think right now, uh, Dale, Usage situations for many salespeople that they've relied on for maybe years, those usage situations may be dead right now. 
right? And there are new user situations. Like I saw one of the great ones. I, I respect great sales so much. I had someone send me an email today and I saved it. I'm going to use it for one of my next presentations. You know, the little portable chargers, you know, the little for a yes. cell phone, they're always about being small, right? Well, this one was charge tech decided we have to do something because people aren't traveling. They don't need uh, charged charging technologies for the road warrior anymore, right? At least right now. Right. So guess what they're marketing? This is the way that you're, you're going to cure cabin fever. They were creating larger chargers so you can take your whole home office outside. This is the way you can work outside in the, and I was like, I love it. They found a usage situation. No one's selling that. And, yeah. uh, and so is that kind of what you're talking about? Solving maybe a problem or being relevant to what they're going through right now? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. But then you have to also, you can't just be the solution to that particular problem and give them an aha moment of, Oh, I can go outside with your product. They right. also need to give them something super experiential in it as well. Too. Got it. You know, so like, let's say that that charger comes to your house as a test or, you know, like here's one for you tell 20 of your friends but it comes in a box and it's got your name on it and you open it and there's a QR code and you scan it with your phone and a video pops up and it's like, Oh, Hey Rob. And it's yeah. some dude, you know, like with, and he's on a zoom like this and he gets up and he's not wearing pants. And, and again, he like, he makes these relevant arguments yeah. toward what it is that's happening right now, but he gives you an experience. He sucks you in. We like to say that it's Disney for sales. That's okay. one of the things that I've been saying for years. And not just because I live in Orlando, you know, because listen, if anybody ever relates Disney to Orlando, I usually just roll my eyes in the first place. It's not in Orlando, guys. Like, it's just the airport you fly into. But anyway, I digress. The idea is, is that if you go to Disney and you get in line for two hours, you're not pissed off. Right. You're, even if it's 100 degrees outside, you're, you're looking everywhere. You're enjoying all the aesthetics, all the little things that interact with you as you go. And then when you get on the ride and you ride it, you almost want to get back in the line in the first place. But the ride is so just pure, bro. When you do it and you get off and you're like, that was such a great experience, right? So let me ask you this then. I'm, I'm, I don't want to move off creativity because you're like maybe the first guest I've ever had on that talked about that at all. And shoot, you led with it. Like we're just scratching the top for you right now. That's just what you led with, dude. And so... So those are some good things you've done on how they can stimulate that. Is it important to have a culture of creativity? So it's not just every now and then we do a creative activity. I mean, how do you build a culture of creativity? You will, you allow people inside of your organization to express themselves. And as, as they're expressing themselves, you allow them to, to use an introspective attitude to understand like what that expression is doing to other people. So you take that, you, you create and develop it personally right? With your rep, you literally, you take them into the things that have, that have tortured them for years in some cases, right? Dark places. You take them into places that are nostalgic for them, that, that they love and they long to be in because these are the places that will help them to be developed again, personally as a human, but also to translate better what it is that they want in their walk. And now not every salesperson is creative, but bro, let me say this. Every single time I hear somebody say, I'm just not that creative. If you give me 20 minutes with that person, you walk out of that room and go, dude, are you some kind of psychic, like second coming of Jesus? Like what is happening? Because it's simple. And most people just don't know how to cut to the core of it, which is to call people's bluff, right? Call their bullshit is the idea to sit back and say, and sorry, if we're not allowed to cuss on the show. Yeah, go I for it. You're like, good, bro. You're it's, good. It's, it's five o'clock my time. You're good, baby. <laughs> But it's this, again, it's this idea of really challenging people. Like we are so 
soft as leaders these days. We ram in this whole concept of hit your quota, do your KPIs, and that we don't care about anything else. We, and, and it makes us soft as leaders because we're afraid to have the tough conversations to draw the creativity out in the first place. And so I believe that a culture of creativity is extremely important. And it starts with us as the leaders, dude, because it starts with a good bullpen that's fun, that's interactive, that that doesn't just have a bro culture to it either. You know, that yeah. it complements everything. It complements, yeah. it's inclusive. You know, it's like you go around, you say like, hey, if we had a wind song in here, who, what would you guys want to hear, right? And you allow diplomatic decisions to happen and you allow people to collaborate. Creativity comes from collaboration in most cases. It allows people to take pride in it. It allows people to want to be a part of it. And then they'll push so hard, dude, to maintain their integrity inside of the organization because they don't want to lose that once they find it, right? They don't want to go to the next organization. And so they're like, dude, I want to be here for 25 years. So what do I got to do, man? Like, just give me a list and I'll take care of it. So I want to go one level deeper and then I want to talk about experiences and then we got more stuff. And so I hope it's okay to go one level deeper. So everything you're talking about, man, I am, I am picking up what you're putting down, dude. I'm, I am playing rhythm guitar to your lead guitar right now. Okay. And, um, and I, and I freaking love it, but now we have everybody that we have people that might say, okay, sure, Dale. Um, but we don't have a bullpen right now. Everybody's working from home. Uh, it's harder for me to do is is there any final thoughts on how and before I finish this Dale I, I just got done writing what was one of my best presentations I've ever written I'm excited to start sharing it I believe that the thing that's most at risk as people decentralize and they all work from home is culture I think yes. that there are at least three things I, I, I don't know I'm older than you you remember the old band NXS no I no, don't. you don't Michael Hutchins you got this? a job go look it look it up there's a song okay. called Mediate, okay? And it, all the words rhymes with the, with the word eight, with the name eight, with, with the word eight. So it's like, try not to hate, all these things. So the eights for, that go to culture are collaborate, demonstrate, celebrate, okay? And those things become more challenging to do uh, in a decentralized world than if you're all in a bullpen. So any final thoughts before we get off this, that just things you're seeing, because you're helping people do it, man. And I think this is a really good thing to talk about because I know there are leaders that are struggling with that right now. Yeah. So what we gamify it and we gamify it through softwares that we vet and we give people multiple choices on them too, because again, we're agnostic to this stuff. Like we just want people to have the right choice when it comes to what it is that they need to be doing, not what it is that they need to be using necessarily, but there are softwares out there from a gamification standpoint that will tie into Salesforce or uh, uh, whatever CRM that you're using, Pipedrive, whatever it is that, that will, on the back end, every time that your, your groups that are, and again, like whether it's your inside sales, your outside sales, you can have everybody, you can have the service department a part of this if you have one. Right. And the idea, though, is, is that it creates a massive culture where you can run it on the desktop. Like I actually have a version of it right here connected to one of my students offices that I, I keep a little bit extra intimacy with. And, and, and it's great because you can be sitting here working, making your dials, having your sales screen over here on the side that's gamified and somebody can close the deal and this thing will go off and it'll, you know, it'll be like dealzilla and it'll have like the, the Rocky Anthem playing and you could be on the phone dialing somebody and, and tell that story. Like, sorry, it's, my team, we have a gamified system. Somebody just closed a deal for $27,000, actually. That's pretty awesome. You know, and like, yeah. it creates synergy with your customer just the same. But, but you can gamify your sales bullpen and you can take it home. And that's, and, and then the other piece is, dude, it's like, imagine what a team call at the sales rebellion looks like. I mean, you're, you're seeing this world that I've built, right? The, I, imagine what that looks like. And imagine the consistency of those. Imagine like the heart that shows up in those times. Like, Hey guys, anybody have anything that we can pray for you over? Anybody have anything that that's happening at home right now that we can give you some good advice on? Like we, 
stop, stop worrying about what HR is going to say when it comes to somebody else's development. It's different when you're, when you're, you know, borderline, you know, sexually abusing somebody in conversations, but when you're, when you're needing to get deep with folks, we need to reconnect with that concept. We are so soft as leaders, dude. We are so soft. We were afraid to ask somebody, you know, how, how much time are you spending by yourself every day to grow you? And, and, and how much time are you, are you putting into your work and everything else? You know, oh man, I get to spend no time with myself. That's a red flag for the people in your, inside of your company, inside of your culture. And those, those are the little things that on top of the gamification and everything else that will keep people coming back. They won't be late for the team call on the Zoom because they, they know that it's special circumstances and they're not going to care. COVID-19, you know, like, listen, you want people hungry during this time. You don't want people sitting back kind of saying like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. You want them to be confident in what it is that you've built for them and where you're taking them with this thing. And you can do that through those just little tweaks that you Love can it. create within your company. That's super good. Let's go to experiences real fast. I, I, I believe that that is the thing, man, creation of experiences. And I have a lot of people ask me, what's your definition of an experience? Because a lot of people think they're doing an experience when really all they're doing is a pitch. You know what I'm saying? And so here's my definition. Then I'm interested to get your definition. My definition of an experience is anything that transforms the customer or prospect from a participant to a spec. So I mean, from a spectator to a participant, right? How do you transform them from being a spectator to a participant? And that's, I think, like what I like to look at it as. How can we do that to promote them? It's like, I think of Gladiator, with, which is my favorite movie, where Maximus is in there, the, the scene where he looks up and yells, are you not yet entertained, right? And too many times salespeople are taking that approach. Are you not yet entertained? Why won't you buy yeah. my shit? Right. So yeah. what's your definition of experience? How do you create them? So the first thing is, is that people have to get rid of their expectations of what an experience is. Okay. Because when they lead with expectations, the problem is, is that they're their expectations. And so they say, oh, if I send this shoe and I send a note that says, I'd like to get my foot in the door, it's going to get me an appointment. You have to stop with that, with that mindset and stop sending shoes for the love of God. People have been doing it for, since the 70s. It's old at this point, y'all, just in case you're listening. It's, a, it's funny, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now that everybody's had it happen to them at this point. It's no secret anymore. So, but th that's it. It's like, how do you make the experience unique, right? So you get rid of your expectations and you think about what is unique about what it is that I'm doing. What is customized around the experience of my buyer that, that's going to make their eyes lock in and their heart lock in, which takes the head out of the equation in the beginning. Because the biggest, the, the issue is, is that we get objections from people because they, they start up here in the frontal lobe where it takes a bunch of information, sticks it up here and goes, this person wants to sell me something. No, thank you. Right? right. But if we can head straight to the heart, right. And we can get them fixated on what it is that we're giving them. People love a tangible experience. The year is 2020. Everything's digital. We send the rebel letter campaign out in the mail. There's, there's five touches to it. One of them is even digital, right? And their experiences, it's paper that's burnt up. It has coffee stains all over it. And, and it tells people marketing sucks and you and I both know it. And so I gave you, I made this for you so that you could put your coffee toaster on it or I pre-crumpled it so you could just throw it away easier. And, and these are the things that we teach our reps and that we give out that help people to sit back and make their own decision and to be captivated by it. Because again, it's, 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 even if you're doing that to 25 people in the same way, it's the notion of what is their experience and how is it unique compared to everything else. So, and I like, I like what you said, which is this concept of how do we go from having a bunch of people in the stands to having them down on the field? Right. You know, wanting to be in the game. Right. And so, so we just have to search our, our heart 
and say, <laughs> a lot of times it's as simple as saying, would you call yourself if this is what you gave you? Right? No kidding, dude. Seriously. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> it really is that simple. Yeah. The, yeah. 90% of the people that are listening that have ever asked themselves that question or a rep got to know they got to, well, I mean, this is just how you do it. You know, is the answer. Like, you know, I call, I call bullshit on that too. Start changing the game. Start doing things that, that might feel old school even. Like I love the concept of, of augmented reality. Um, you know, spoiler alert, you're actually the, be the first person that we've ever said this in public to is that my book has augmented reality in it. I better release that thing fast now because somebody listening is like, oh shoot, that's a good idea. But when's know, the release the idea, on that, baby? When's that coming out? We're, we're hoping by the summer. We're right in the, in the end process of creating the app that will work with the book that you'll download on your phone when you get it, that, that will play inside of the, in the book. And I won't give any other spoilers other than that. But again, it's this, we sat back and said, what gives the reader a bigger experience than just fanning through pages, right? right. What, get, what captivates them? What draws them in? What makes them feel like they're part of the movement of the rebellion, right? What makes them feel like a warrior rebel inside of what it is that we're doing? What makes them take pride in these things? And what makes them want this stuff? And listen, I sold copy machines, right? But I was invited to Thanksgiving dinners and, you know, you name it, dude, Christmas breakfasts. Like I was that guy that was showing up to your baptism and everybody going, who are you? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm the copy guy. Well, <laughs> it's going to be crazy. He passed and there was over a thousand people at his funeral and half of the people in there were his customers and, and we didn't even know them. They just came to pay respects and tell us how much they loved them and the experience that he gave them, right? It changed me in those moments. And, and I'd already been taught to do those things, but it was like, it all came to, to life in that moment where, you know, it was the saddest day I, I've ever had to experience to this point in my life. But it was also one of the biggest awakenings I ever had. And, and I, I sit back and I think to myself, if I could sell a commodity, if he could sell a commodity, this well to, to draw these types of people this deep into something with them that they show up the day that he leaves this earth. That's who I want to be. That's mm. what I want to give to my prospects. Mm. So just think deep at the end of the day, that's how you get people in. All right, bro. We're down to our last 10 minutes or so. I, I told you we were going to end up going a little long, but um, I want to make Sorry, sure we hit this. I want to, there's two things I really want to hit. And then I want to view, review some of the, the your stuff. Um, when you're thinking of sales leaders right now, okay, I, what would you say in today's world where so much has changed, people, everyone's in that same storm, but the, but the boat that they're all in is different. And I'm not talking about customers. I'm talking about reps too. I mean, the stuff we're going through is, a, is, a, is a hitting all the reps differently. Is there anything that you would say sales leaders need to be doing this right now? This one thing or this two things? I don't care how many things. Is there anything as you think about say, man, if you're leading a team, these are things you got to get right, man. Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to mind, dude. And and I'm a I'm a deep spiritual dude. And so like Good. the first things that come to mind are just, you know, we read these books about the way that we should manage and the way that we should, you know, set up our KPIs and measure our reps and all this other jazz. And like, and those things are good. They're good foundational structures. But do you even know the people that are in your business? Do you even know what it is that they want out of their walk? Do you even are are you translating to them what it is that you want to accomplish? You know, do they have an understanding of whether or not at 55, you're just going to peace out and say, got my money and I'm out of here, or that you're going to still be a mentor to them in their life walk and still be a friend to them outside of those four walls. You know, and I'm not talking about getting beers with people, bro. I'm talking about praying over people. I'm talking about having conversations about 
divorces and losing family members to, to terrible circumstances. I'm talking about really diving deep with people and saying, are you affected by these things? Are you having issues? Are they driving you away from being better at sales? Because the thing is, is that we, we can all be good salespeople. Even the C players, you know, I've taken C players into A player status. We can all do it. But the problem is, is that most people sit back and say, no, you know, on their disc scale and on their AI, like they didn't really get a good grade. And so they're probably just going to be mediocre down here. No, 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 no. You're going to keep them mediocre by boxing them into this thing instead of helping them to see this is who you are. Let's build you into something great and yeah. getting their buy-in and having that, that, that whole piece of the puzzle come together. We are so soft, dude. I've said that like four times. We are you so it, yeah. soft as leaders, bro. It, so, and it needs to change. Let's stay on that diving deep. Okay. So that's not just being warm and fuzzy. I, I don't think that's just being warm. What does that do for, for a relationship or what does that do for a team? If you really can do that in an authentic way. You know, I think constructive criticism is one of the best things that we can receive and give throughout the entire process of learning. Like at 34 years old now and been in this game for so long, coming up on 14 years, you know, I, I sit back and I think of all the times that I really grew and all the times that I really grew is when, now when somebody said, congratulations on your deal, you know, but when somebody sat down with me and said, what'd you do to win that? And then the process of telling them even what I did, I could go, I could go, oh my God, I can't believe I did these couple of things. I, I'm definitely not doing that next time because that screwed me up and I got the deal, but those are things that probably hindered my profits, my time frames, right? Like there's a, even in, in sitting in reflection of what it is that happened inside of a conversation, uh, there's a powerful piece, you know, that turns into constructive criticism of yourself or by somebody else. You know, so I, I, I sit back and I think about when people sit down and they say, all right, so you're at 20,000 for the month in revenue. We need to get you to 60. What do we got to do to get there? You know, like <laughs> every rep you in the world, smiling. Is, you see every smiling, rep yeah. in the world is just like, um, I guess I got to dial more, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're literally throwing the bird in their mind, right? Just like, <laughs> listen, I'm working my butt off, dude. That's what everybody's thinking. But when you sit them down and you say, do you believe that you have worked hard enough this month to earn the 20,000 that you have so far? And you sit and you, and you hone in on the number that's not even where you want it to be in the first place and let the rep respond to that. Let the rep tell you, I know, <laughs> no, because it's not the number I want in the first place. What do you want? What do you want? Well, I want to be at 60. Why? Because that's my quota. Why not 80? Why not hundred? Why not 500? Right? Why are you boxing yourself into a number in the first place? We have to start having those types of constructive conversations with people instead of sitting and literally hindering our reps. Like the, the, the B2B growth show, which is, uh, or the B2B sales show, which is a, a spinoff of the B2B growth show, James Carberry, Sweetfish Media. I'm one of the hosts on there on their podcast. And I gave an episode that's, that's going to be pretty, I think it's about to come out. It's going to be pretty controversial where I said, I don't believe in quotas. And I've even put that on, on LinkedIn before. And oh my God, dude, I mean, You've never seen the, the can of worms open up. I mean, people get so defensive over quotas. Guess what? I never even looked at mine. Never looked at mine. I crushed mine by so much percentage that they couldn't even measure it. When you're sitting in a room full of, you know, 15 plus reps and they're going through the numbers and like 40,000 here, 50,000 here, 100,000 here, and then they're like $980,000 for Dale. It, it becomes this thing where people sit back again and they say, 
they they come up to you and they go, congrats, bro, you're killing it. And then they walk out of the room and they're pissed and jealous. And even your your leader is like, yeah, yeah, I, I can't even get, I can't even understand why my other people can't write what he writes. You know, they, they you create a culture of just disconnected people, angry, saturated with, with fear, with self-loathing, with doubt, right? Whereas everybody should have come up to me and said, yo, do how it? do we do that? Yeah. And how did you do it? Right. You know, because there is no collaboration with teams, right? There, none of that. So that's the big picture. Cool. All right. That was awesome. So the first thing that you say is, is there any other things that was a really good? Is there a second or is, or is that like the thing? Get that I mean, dive deep, get that. Like, yo, you, you, you listening right now, you know that your people need to be using LinkedIn more. That's another thing that I tell everybody. Mm. Nobody's using LinkedIn the right way right? I have 99.9% of my business comes in through LinkedIn. And, and hopefully we'll be, we'll be showing stats that within two years of being a business, we're writing a million in revenue as a training organization. And we were, and we were nothing prior to that. I sold it's amazing. <laughs> Kudos, so, man. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, so like, and, and I'm, ho- I'm I proclaim that because I also believe in, in, in stating truth and over my life and over my, my career and over the things that I've done in my whole, my whole entire sales career. I've done it my whole entire life, to be honest with you, where that those are the types of things that we lead with confidence. And if we build that within ourselves, we will get it. Like we will do everything. We'll scratch out the walls. We will, we will do everything that we need to do in an orderly fashion at the same time to make sure that it happens. One that accommodates those around us, especially if we're focused on why we're doing it. So don't just get your people on LinkedIn to get them on LinkedIn. And because Dale has 99.9% of, of his business coming from there, get them on LinkedIn because they deserve something better than what it is than the way that they're doing it right now. It's something to add to the arsenal, you know? It sounds like that's another, our next show is how to get 99% of your leads coming from what you do on LinkedIn. We'll, yeah. we'll do that one. Okay. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Let's, uh, next thing I'm kind of looking at, I got just a few more minutes, man. Um, are there any misconceptions that you think are out there right now? You know, I, I'm going back to our UK friends that the one time that I really saw people said, Holy shit, what are you saying is when the question was, what's what, what, how do you sell in the pandemic? And, and we won't say his name, but he's like, it's more of a numbers game now than ever before. And you got to double down on the numbers. And I remember you, you were doing exactly what you were doing there. And, I, and that was good. And Richard, started, Richard actually cut him off. So just shut up right now, if you remember. And, and so there's a lot of misconceptions. Is there any like misconception that you'd say in today's world, you know, this is something you, you want to shy away from? Yeah, I take a hard stance on the numbers game outside of a pandemic inside of a pandemic, it's even more appropriate to continue to be intimate with people in the way that you sell. But outside of it, listen, for all of you listening that are thinking the numbers game doesn't work, I used to write 60 net new accounts a year as a copier sales rep. If you're in copier sales hearing this, you're going to sit back and be like, whoa, every year? And that was just my average. My my record was 77, wow. right? Like I did that year over year inside of my organization where the average is 12 to 15 depending wow. on the, 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 the territory and the, and the type of rep, whether it's major or, or, or commercial. But that's it, dude. I blew that number so hardcore out of the water. Now, there'll be people listening to that have been like, I've done 30. I've heard that a million times. I've done 30, right? And I met one guy that said that he did, he did in the 70s, right? Like my 77, but it was the same year we sold the company. And by the end of the year, I had definitely written 90 net new accounts. So <laughs> I'll still put up. The competitors coming out, baby. Yeah, I love it, dude. man. You know, like put me on your in, team bro. whenever you want. I'll team, I'll team up with you anytime, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's it, dude. It is, it is the, the mindset of choosing legendary, the mindset of a rebel warrior inside of sales. It is the idea of saying, okay, if we are supposed to make $100 a day, 
If that's the way that sales works, uh -uh, I'm going to change that. I'm going to choose to change that. And I'm not just going to pretend to do it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to put my heart into this and I'm going to do it for the, 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 the sanity, if anything, of my buyer. But, but I'm going to tell you right now that that's the biggest thing that I, I take a hard stance against that I think people misconstrue constantly. It's not a numbers game, folks. It's a results game. 100%. And that's, I think, one of the biggest mistakes, especially younger leaders. I call it spreadsheet leadership, leadership when they just use their magic spreadsheet to lead people. And, and I see it all the time. Uh, I, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what we do. I work with sales leaders and building coaching plans and stuff. And one of the first things I just throw that stupid spreadsheet away, man, just throw <laughs> it away. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So I, before we finish the way I finish with everyone, I, I want to address one of the things you sent me. And this is going to be one of the things I read because I want to get it right. You shared with me some of your guiding principles and I loved them. You gave me three. Okay. All three of them are awesome. And you, if you're not sharing those on LinkedIn, you need to, because to me, they were like meaningful. So thank you for sharing them. I'm going to take one of them and I'm going to talk about it right now as a good way to wrap this up. Cause I think this has been awesome, dude. Thank you so much for getting on. What a fantastic conversation we're having. Okay. Here, here's what you said, you know, when you shared your guide principles, I loved them all, but I think this one is particularly relevant to the sales leaders that are listening to our show right now. Okay. You said, I believe in fellowship over negotiations, community over, and culture over commission checks and people over products. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Over. I believe in fellowship over negotiations, community and culture over commission checks, people over products and providing experiences over performing a pitch. That's gold, dude. Where did that shit, where did that shit come from? It started in 2012 when I started to write out my mantra as to what it was that I was going to go to the market as. Who is the copier warrior and why does he exist? And those were the things that, that came out. You know, I also had this saying, my heart longs to learn and aches to serve. Yep, and because of the there. mindset concepts, right, is when people start to sit back and really think about what it is that they're going to the market with from the perspective, again, of their heart, what they want people to see and hear and feel they'll get it, dude. And so for me, you know, like negotiations, bah humbug, bro, let's fellowship. That's how I see it. You know, and there are so many things that, that salespeople constantly dump themselves into inappropriately, right? In the first place, but then they also put themselves into uh, the same places and they never had to go there to begin with, you know, honesty, integrity, ethics, morals inside of your sales walk are what's so important. That's why I don't agree with the dial hundred people because that just makes them objects. That makes him a name on the list, a number to, to, to go into your system to say, I did my hundred dials today. You know, what that's else do you want excuse. me to do? Yeah, right. I call, that really, that blows up in a leader's face every time. What do you, I, I did exactly what you told me to. I dialed 50 people. I dialed a hundred thousand people. Right? I hear, I've heard that so many times, Dale. Yeah, me too. It sucks. Yeah. I love that. That's, that one just was really, uh, to me, that was really meaningful. And, uh, uh, all four parts of that I thought was really, really good. So, Thanks, I, you know, I, I would, I would suggest all of our leaders to make sure they hit rewind and listen to me when I read it the right way, not the shitty first way and, and adopt that because I think that, that point of view, I think makes you a better leader. Sure. So anyway, listen, I wrap up the same way we wrap up with everyone. It's kind of a rapid fire, three questions real quick. Okay. You ready? Let's go. Okay. Biggest sales leadership challenge and how do you beat it down? The biggest challenge right now is the, the culture, I think, more than anything. And you beat it down by understanding who is in your bullpen and not just sitting back and saying, what is it that other sales leaders are doing? You have to make sure that it's, it's your culture, not copied by somebody else, from okay. somebody else. Love it. 
Number two, this one is our listener favorite, okay? This is the one I get the most thank yous for. When you are interviewing members of your team or salespeople, favorite question to ask someone and what is it you're looking for when you ask it? What books are you reading right now? And what are you That's, looking for? What I'm looking for is I'm looking to understand what kind of growth they're, does, they desire and they're trying to achieve in their own personal walk. Somebody could answer that with a sci-fi book or, you know, a, like they could say, well, I'm in law school right now and you didn't even know it, right? You know, there's all <laughs> these things that can come out of it because it's very hyper-personal. And so it helps somebody to share their heart in that moment. I like it. That leads to the last one. It's a perfect lead into the last one. We found that leaders are readers, okay? And you never stop that learning journey. Is there anything you would recommend people get their hands on? I don't care if it's pages they turn or an audible they listen to, or even if you bite-sized chunk it, like on blog posts or podcasts, what do you recommend to our listeners that they ought to be getting a hold of if they want to extend their leadership journey? So my dad, uh, this is a good one, because my dad's mentor who just came back into my life, his name is Buck Jacobs. And he wrote a book called The Most Important Hour. And, and it might not be for everybody, but, but it's important that I say it, mostly just because of my mission on this earth. And for me, what it's done is it's taken an hour of my day and dedicated it to the things that I want growth in for myself. It disciplines me, it challenges me, and it also helps me to journal my thoughts. I think that's one thing, uh, readers read, or C-level uh, uh, folks read, VPs of sales, presidents of sales, they read. Do they write? That's my question always, right? Do they write though? Do they write out how they feel about these things or do they just regurgitate what they've read? Start writing. And, and the most important hour by Buck Jacobs will help you to start that journey. Dude, this was so good. I love it, man. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to start uh, looking into the rebellion. I, you may have some uh, new rebel uh, recruits here because of this. How do people get more of you? How do they connect with you? How do they pick up what you're laying down? How do they learn more about what you're doing? If they want to extend the conversation, how do they make that happen, man? The best way to do it is just to go to Google and type in Dale Dupree. And, and, and the thing is, is that when you do that, you'll see everything that you see for the first couple of pages is me. And so you can learn more and you can hear the consistency in which I lead my, my team and my company into the market with. Because I think one thing that's important is that I don't want people to just hear this and go, hey, I want, I want to do something with Dale. I want them to fall in love with the rebellion. I don't want this to be an over, you know, a one night stand or, or just a quick hangout, right? I, I want relationships inside of my walk and I believe that others do too. And so if they don't want to put in Dale Dupree and waste all that time, they can go to salesrebellion.com, linkedin.com backslash IN backslash copier warrior at salesrebellion on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me on any social site, guys and girls, even TikTok. But the best way to get a hold of me is my cell phone, which can be found on my website, salesrebellion.com, under the About page. Nice. That's him, man. That's Dale Dupree. He, uh, he's helping bring creativity to life. Uh, he's making sales fun again. And he is helping people change their game. So for that, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for sharing your insights. And as I say to everyone, Dale, happy selling, my man. Cheers, bro. Appreciate you. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first I want to remind each of you that I have developed a sales leadership seminar for your sales leadership team that I want to share with you for free. That's right, I want to conduct a world-class experience with your team on the house, okay? After working with companies around the world during the COVID crisis, I found four levers the most successful sales leaders are 
really intentionally adjusting in order to create success. This is an experience for your leaders that will motivate, inspire, and help you create more influence in your one-on-ones immediately. There are no strings, no expectations, and I just want to be as helpful to as many sales leaders as possible. Now, how about Dale? That dude is a phenom. I am so glad I was able to have him on our show this week. I'm just so appreciative that he joined us. If he was a politician, he'd probably have a hat that said, Making Sales Great Again. Only, Dale knows that sales has always been great when you find ways to let your creativity and individuality shine through. You know, as I spoke with Dale, I went back and listened to that interview a couple times. The thing that screamed at me the entire time uh, as Dale and I were talking was that our job is to create experiences for our customers as well as our prospects. Now, the word experience is one that might mean different things to different people. Here's what it means to me. An experience is anything that transforms your prospect from a spectator to a participant. I think this is one of the most important topics in sales. How do you transform someone that you're working with from a spectator to a participant? And for the answer, we're going to go to my all-time favorite movie. It's, it's a non-negotiable, I will win the debate with anybody that wants to argue with me. The greatest movie of all time is Gladiator. I have literally watched it over 20 times, and there's this scene when Maximus is learning what it will take for him to win as a gladiator. He, he, he's been thrown into this world, he's figuring it out, and he's told that he needs to win the crowd. And in the next fight scene, he's pitted by himself up against five to six people, and he defeats them all in this really impressive, impressive way. And he's fighting with two swords, and after he finishes this fight... He takes one of them and he throws it. He chucks it into the crowd as they're cheering for him. And, and it hits a table, it makes a big scene, and the crowd goes silent. Okay, And he's, he looks up at the crowd and he puts out his arms and he challenges them by yelling, Are you not entertained? And then he says it again. Are you not entertained? And I believe too many salespeople take the same approach to sales. They lead with their product or they lead with the competencies they believe that matter, or maybe the kind of key things they were trained from a product perspective, and they lead with competency, they lead with product. And then when we have a long sales cycle, or maybe we don't win, or we don't win often enough, rather than focusing on the experience, we look to the outcome and we start wondering along the gladiator lines, were they not entertained? We gotta help the customer become just as much of a participant, if not more so, than we are as a salesperson. Now, another thing that was really memorable to me about this conversation that Dale and I had came when Dale pointed out that he's seeing that most sales leaders are too soft. And I don't think he was telling us to be taskmasters or assholes. I think he was encouraging us to take an active role in the individual development of each member of the sales team. Dale spent a lot of time talking about why it was important to get rid of expectations of the outcome. And and how we need to help reps find ways to create unique experiences based on their own individuality, okay? Not just the individuality of the customer, but the individuality of the rep. Help them tap into their own individuality and you'll be surprised just how fast creativity can come to life. Give it a shot. I can tell you after having done this firsthand, especially as I've been working on this since interviewing Dale, it works and it works quickly. So create experiences, transform spectators into participants. And here's a final thought as you get ready to go about your week. You need to make sure your one-on-ones transform the members of the sales team, that rep that you're working with, from a spectator to a participant as well. The one-on-one should be an experience, not a meeting. They shouldn't show up and say, what do you got for me today? 
They should come knowing that they're going to be a, an active participant in what they do next. Don't let the one-on-one -on -one be a justification about what you did. Have it be an exercise of creating what's going to happen next. And that's why I say that right now the one-on-one -on -one is more important than it's ever been. Because there is a sales leadership crisis facing us that will far outlive the pandemic crisis we are all working through. Okay, And the best way to overcome the sales leadership crisis is those have one-on-ones that create transformational experiences for every member of your team. You can do it. You just have to choose to. So thanks to Dale for joining me. I want to finish with the guiding principle he shared with us. It was meaningful to me and it was like moving to me and I want to finish with it again now. Dale said, I believe in fellowship over negotiations, community and culture over commission checks, people over products, and providing experiences over performing a pitch. If everybody approached sales this way, we'd all be more successful and find greater fulfillment in our careers. I can't get enough of him and the rebellion. Reach out to him. He is a must follow. He will help you become far more successful faster than you expect. Most of all, thanks to you, each of you, our listeners. The show is growing faster and faster each week, and I cannot thank you enough for the support and the shares. If you like today's show, please, please head over to iTunes and give us that five-star review because it is the best way for the show to grow and for me to continue to get access to the best sales leaders in the world. So here's to creating experiences. You transform the reps from spectators to participants and then help your reps transform their prospects from spectators to participants. And what you'll find is people will not only choose to make changes, they will thank you for it. So I wish you all a fantastic week. And as always, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com. <laughs>